when we look at Zen practice, then we often begin looking at it from the first point of view of how we ourselves encountered this practice. Many of us come here because in their lives they experience difficulties and they begin to ask questions. They try to deal with those challenges and in the end no satisfying answer is found, no satisfying state of being can be found and therefore we continue to look for whatever is out there that could help us. And eventually some of us end up in this practice. That is not to say that everybody arrives here from the very point of having suffered or being in the midst of personal suffering. Some arrive for other reasons and in the end it doesn't really matter how we get here, where and under what circumstances we started to walk this path. And often with the same amount of baggage that we bring along, we also bring a fairly huge pile of expectations. Then over the course of practice, as we faithfully, or here's a word that you won't hear very often in this context, as you religiously stick with your practice, as you stick with bringing yourself in Zazen to this very moment that is unfolding, that is continually unfolding and expanding that presence from Zazen not only to the sitting Zen but also to standing, walking, being a member of society Zen. As we do that expectations fall away. Baggage also just falls away. Zen practice is a process of letting go. Of letting go of that what we are attached to. Any kind of attachment will occur just naturally because always remember the state of suffering, the state of being dissatisfied, dukkha. All of that is not something that is not natural. The very fact that it is there is more than any idea of having to justify its presence. The presence alone, the being there of something, is it. So even suffering is natural. Attachment is natural. 
And so you might ask yourselves, what is it that Zen practice can help us, can help me to become not as attached, to not suffer as much? And the fitting story here is about the Zen master who was asked by one of his students. And the student approached him and said, Oh, master, you, you have been doing Zen practice for many, many decades. Tell me, when did you stop suffering? And of course, the master replied, I never stopped suffering. I just learned to suffer more skillfully. The understanding of what suffering is develops as we continue to practice. We learn to see, to experience in our own being, in our bodies, in our minds, in our emotions, in our feelings, in our intuition, how the activity of Dharma unfolds, how it works. And we discover that if we put up resistance, if we objectify and if we do not act and live according to the activity of Dharma, then friction will occur. And the experience of that friction is suffering. Letting go allows us to stretch the limits, to widen the gamut, to expand the range of different manifestations that we as a human being can participate in, can actualize. Freedom within the very limits of a human being is freedom within limitations. And at the very ends of that spectrum, at the ultimate smallest and the ultimate largest, actually not only freedom within, but freedom as being free from individuality, an ego entity, an idea of a self. Nobody exists at that manifestation of zero who could have an idea, who could reflect, separate, divide into this and that. One of the difficulties that we might experience during the practice is that we bring those ideas with us and that we, in a very, very long process, have to learn that this practice is not 
about us. This is not about me. This is not about that very self that came with the baggage, that came with the expectations to this practice. But we learn and we realize that it is the very letting go of any of that I, me, my, and even further, the letting go of the other, the letting go of separating into this and that, into self and other, object and subject, host and guest, however you want to name it. In the Japanese monastery, everything is geared towards the very abrasive attack on that I am, on that what one brings as a person to the practice. Here in the United States, as a representative of Western culture, and maybe as the foremost representative of the idea of individuality, where individuality and freedom are understood in a very, very peculiar way. To be free means to be free to do whatever that self wants to do. That is a very interesting understanding of it, but from the point of Zen practice, of course, it is limited. And from the point of view of Zen practice, it is and it can become a hindrance during our practice. Whenever we insist on manifesting our individuality, we might be at odds with the manifestation and the working of the activity of Dharma. Putting a stake in the ground by making judgments, by labeling even, by separating this and that, we are attached. There's a certain mind that we have in our small self, the thinking mind, the judging mind, who depends on these stakes that are set out to delineate the different areas of the world we live in. But one of the very important things to learn in this practice is to be able to let go of all of those delineations and to experience that there is no separation between these parts that we try to keep apart. That everything that exists is myself. Sometimes the word 
interconnectedness is used for that. Sometimes the word interbeing is used, which is more appropriate. The a less appropriate word for this idea is interdependence. Because interdependence, like dependence, is a temporal concept, a concept that deals with the abstraction of cause and effect. Interbeing, or just being together without time, as one, is an experience that inevitably comes to the Zen practitioner. So when we sit here, following the breath, there is absolutely no need to affirm any of that I am, of that little small thinking self, the objectifying self, the judging self, the self that tells us all kinds of things all day long. Let it do what it does, but continue being with your breath, making that connection, making that relationship, plugging into this energy of the Dharma activity, and by doing that, illuminating as the very activity illuminating whatever we do, whatever appears with us as whatever we appear, and to make it really shine, radiate, permeate not only our actions, but in the end, also, that small self that, without doubt, will reappear. But by being illuminated by that experience of being with the Dharma activity, that self constantly changes and becomes less fixated. A new self is born, a new self in new circumstances, in new conditions. And as such, this practice offers us fresh, shining moments, if we allow ourselves to find that alignment with the Dharma activity and to allow ourselves to be consumed 
illuminated, swept away completely without any fear, without any doubt, and without any hesitation. 